If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. With Indeed, everything hiring is all in one place and it makes it so easy. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences each day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. The more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash podcast. Need to hire? You need Indeed. One day, men will look back and say I gave birth to the 20th century. In a world where zombies, ghosts, serial killers, and vampires all exist, it's Nico, Brian, Mike, and Dustin, and they are all that stand between you and the films that could end the world. Welcome to the Don't Go Out There Horror Movie Podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to the Don't Go Out There Horror Movie Podcast. Just want to thank all of our fans and listeners. We really appreciate all the support. You guys are awesome. Uh, before we get into the nice movies, I want to give a quick shout-out to our website, don'tgooutthere.com. Brian has done a fantastic job with the website. Uh, if you want to list our weekly releases of our episode, from episode one to the weekly release, it's there. You have an office job. You don't have access to your phone. Check out the website. You can listen there. We've done some incredible interviews in the past with the biggest names in horror. Check out our interviews tab if you want to go back and listen to those if you've missed them. We also have our store there. We have some brand new t-shirts. We have mouse pads. We have Shan's Etsy page attached as well if you want to grab a DGOT Tumblr. They're really cool, so check them out. And the last thing I'm going to shout out is our social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok. Like us, subscribe us, follow us, all that good stuff. We love interacting with our fans. We love meeting new people. We love reading your comments and questions on the air every week. So definitely link with us on social media. And I'm going to shout out our what we call blood donors. It's our version of a Patreon. We have the traditional monthly reoccurring kind. Uh, you know, you're a big fan of our podcast, our show, and you're like, I want to help those guys out. Uh, we have that available as well. And all of that money goes directly back into the show, not into our pockets. Or if you're a big fan of a movie and you want us to review, we've had several blood donor reviews in the past. You know, you're a big fan of a movie. You want us to review that one. That donation is available as well. Hey everyone, Dustin here. And listen, when I'm not watching horror movies, there's a pretty good chance that I'm watching wrestling. And if you are like me and you also enjoy professional wrestling, you may enjoy my new podcast. It's called The Lore of the Ring. It's available on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, iHeartRadio, you name it, I'm out there. And if you want to hear me talk about WCW, WWF, WWE, ECW, TNA Impact, and so much more. Come join me, and I appreciate the support. All right, let's jump into the, uh, this week's film review. Uh, we're kicking off Mike's theme of no theme. We're just doing freestyle picks, which is kind of nice. You know, you just, it, having a freestyle month just allows you to pick a movie that you've been jonesing to do, and there's no restrictions on it. So you can, not in a bad kind of way of saying this, but you can knock that movie out. You know, you can finally pick the one you want to do. And tonight is Brian's uh, pick. Uh, what's your pick, brother? 
So I went with uh, 2001's uh, From Hell. Uh, it's just been on my list of movies to do for a long time. So when it finished as a runner-up in, in last week's Fan Choice Month poll, uh, and Mike went with Freelance Theme, I thought you know it would be a good one to pick. Uh, it came out when I was a senior in high school. Uh, but I'm pretty sure it took me a few years to watch it before I saw it. And I'll admit, you know, I liked it a little bit more back then than I did now. Um, but, yeah, I've always liked it for what it is. I mean, which which may be a little bit different than a lot of people think uh, of this movie in particular. Um, sidebar, I know we talked about it before, but this one probably would have been a good movie to do with a true crime podcast, you know, Too Close to Home, like we had talked about before. Because, yeah, like while it's supposedly based on Alan Moore's graphic novel – it takes so much liberties. It's even a huge deviation from what really happened in real life. And I get into that a little bit more talking about Fred Averline. And, and, and I know some people care about historical accuracy, but some movies I do and some I don't. And, well, this one, you know, I, I just don't. Um, this was so long ago to me for some reason. You know, I just like I said, I just don't. I just I see this as just a Don, Johnny Depp movie, much the same vein as Sleepy Hollow or, you know, even obviously the Hannibal Lecter stories, of course. And. And I enjoy it. It's entertaining. You know, it's not a nine or a 10 for me, you know, like Silence of the Lambs is or anything, but it's a fun watch. Uh, definitely has one of those, you know, it definitely has a lot of things that I take issue with, but it's a good middle of the road movie for me. Yeah, I'm going to echo what you said, kind of, Brian. Uh, I had not seen this movie at all, but it's been kind of one of those movies I've scrolled by on HBO Max thinking I need to watch that one just because I'm a Johnny Depp fan. I like a lot of his movies and especially these kind of dark gothic-y looking ones. I think like we've done Sleepy Hollow, uh, Sweeney Todd. I like both of those movies a lot. So the tone kind of gives me the same vibes, but I'm not real familiar with the Jack the Ripper or this story all that much, even though I am a big true crime fan. So doing this with Too Close to Home might've been a good idea just so they can dive a little deeper on that story. But I thought the movie was, you know, pretty middle of the road too. I thought it was pretty good. Uh, my biggest issue is I just don't really have much rewatchability for ever again, really. I kind of enjoyed it for the one or two times I did watch it, but really don't plan on watching it anytime soon again. But Johnny Depp was amazing, as always. Uh, I read some articles about poor Heather Graham's London accent and getting ripped to pieces, but it really didn't bother me. Like, I just, maybe I just don't care, like you, Brian, with the, like, the historical accuracy, stuff like that. Like, it didn't bother me to where I couldn't pay attention or I took away from my focus. But I thought the movie was pretty good, and, uh, I enjoyed it for what it is, but I don't plan on ever rewatching it again anytime soon. Uh, Mike, you want to go next? Yeah. So for the second week in a row, it's a movie I've never seen, which I actually enjoy. Now, like Nico, I've scrolled past this film before um, and thought about turning it on, not going to lie. When I saw two hours, I, <laughs> you know, sometimes that's not something I'm going to immediately click on. But I, I also love true crime, you know, like Nico. I believe we listen to the same podcast as well. So we're, you know, we're getting the same kind of true crime content. Although I tend to skip over podcasts when they cover Jack the Ripper just because it was so long ago. And it, it's never really interested me and pulled me in. Exactly. I'm not going to lie. This movie kind of got me to think twice about that. Maybe I will be a little more interested in those stories. Here's what I'll say. I've never seen it. Um, so you're going to get those real live note-taking thoughts again. But this movie is okay. Like, I think this movie starts really strong, and I have a lot of notes in the first two, you know, sets of scenes that we do. And then I have a lot to say about towards the end. But I don't have a lot in the middle. And I think it's, I like this movie for what it probably could have been. I, to be damned with historical accuracy, I mean, you kind of throw that out the window a lot of the way here. So I would have gone, 
Because this movie kind of starts out crazy. Like, it's like, what the hell? Like, this movie is nuts in a good way. And I wish they kind of would have kept that going. I feel like they pulled back and grounded it in a little more realism until the end where it really gets crazy. So I kind of wish they had just stayed on theme there. You know, I, again, I don't know enough about the historical accuracy of the film. I do like some of the shots that's clearly from drawings and animations of, you know, famous Jack the Ripper stuff that we've seen before they get that kind of iconography and lore correct, um, which I thought was really, really good. But look, I love the cast. I love Depp in most things, not everything. I love Depp in most things. Uh, and I love Coltrane, man. Fucking Hagrid. He's a great, he's not just Hagrid. He's a great character actor and he's great in this film. I like the fact that it is a retelling of Jack the Ripper. It's a very interesting concept for a movie to me, or at least a horror movie, because I had never seen it been done. I've never read the graphic novel, so I don't know anything about that. Uh, but, but I think they get more things right than they do wrong after doing a little, well, not from the graphic novel, but you'll see what I'm talking about later. Uh, I think the first and last sets of scenes are really wild and fun, but there's just this dull lull in the middle, not to be a rhymer here, but it's an interesting concept. The movie slows down a little too much for me. I'm excited I got to watch it, and I'm glad. Maybe now I'll go back and revisit the actual case, but um, it's a good pick, Brian, for sure. Yeah, I'd uh, seen this movie years ago, and it's always been one of those that I remember fondly, but I just never went back and watched for a long time. Uh, and, I mean, I remember it fondly because, I mean, let's be honest, it's Johnny Depp, Taylor Graham. And anything with Johnny Depp in it, really, I'm going to be interested in watching. Um, I'm fa- I've always been fascinated by Jack, the- not just Jack the Ripper, but like serial killers in general. And, uh, you know, I find myself, I used to find myself for 30 minutes a day at work, just scrolling Wikipedia, looking up different serial killers and reading the whole page, trying to find out as much as I could. So Jack the Ripper has always been something very interesting to me, uh, interesting subject. I, I think the movie does a good job of capturing, you know, the uh, the era. Um, the the set design looks great. I think the score is really good, and uh, all that the acting is great. I do kind of fall on the other side of the coin though of Brian, where you said sometimes when they ignore historical facts and just make their own stories, it's fine. So, sometimes it's not. It does bother me in this one um, a bit. I was thinking earlier, it's like, you know, everybody loves Remember the Titans, but that movie is not the most historically accurate depiction of what actually happened there. So the way that I compare that is that this is like if Coach Yost had won the state championship and then went on to uh, win the Super Bowl the same year. It's just like, well, you know, just kind of taking off on your own own, uh, own journey to make make heroes that didn't necessarily exist. Um, but yeah, I really enjoyed it. The runtime is a bit much. Um, the pacing sometimes I feel like is a little slow, but it's a good movie. It's a very solid movie. Yeah, I won't argue that uh, it does drag a little bit. Yeah, maybe gets a little monotonous with just you know is going through all the different women with the same things happening. But well, go ahead, Mike. Can I say I think this movie tries to be like three different genres in one movie? Like I kind of wish it had just stuck to the either a true crime retelling or a fantastical horror movie. I think it tries to cram a lot into one film, which, I mean, that's fine. And I don't mind the historical inaccuracies either, but there is at some point like, well, you kind of grounded your film in the middle where it felt a little more real. And, you know, the kind of Pete, the kind of victims that Jack the Ripper had all that stuff I understand is, you know, pretty 
dead on, but I don't understand why we had to do that when the, the, the first set of scenes is fucking insane and the last set of scenes is really over the top. So it just kind of blew my, or not blew my mind that strong, but it kind of made me go, huh, why are we doing all this, all this fantastical stuff at the beginning and end, but we're more realistic in the middle. All right, guys, let's jump into the scene by scene. One day, men will look back and say, I gave birth to the 20th century, Jack the Ripper, 1888. We see a man smoking in title card, London, 1888. Camera pans through the streets as we see the nightlife unfolding. We follow Mary down an alley, and she's grabbed and pressed against the wall. Jordy and McQueen tell her she and her friends owe him money or else. A man unties a rope, and all the sleeping women fall to the floor. Uh, I just wrote down the prostitutes. Hope that doesn't offend nobody, but that's kind of what they are. The prostitutes are all washing up as Anne walks up, asking if they will watch her baby. Albert is coming home today. Mary tells Anne they owe money, and Anne says she'll get the four pounds from Albert. She promises. Nettley is grabbed from behind with a knife to his throat and told his command will be coming down soon. Albert and Anne are having sex as Ben Kidney and his men barge in, abducting them, and they destroy the bedroom. Mary watches on in fear with her child. Ben is interrogating Anne, asking her, who knows? Mary leaves to go take the baby to her grandparents as we see Martha snatched into her room and stabbed to death. We meet Aberlene, who is getting high. He has visions of London streets and sees blood pouring down the walls and a man stabbing a woman, killing her. Peter arrives and tells Aberlene to get up, smacking him. He wakes up in a bowl of water, regaining his normal state of mind. Peter asks him what he saw, and Peter says a woman was killed, and it was the way how that was alarming. They're at the morgue, and they're shown Martha's body. Sir William asks Dr. Farrell if they can witness the procedure. We see Anne strapped to a table and drugged. They perform a makeshift lobotomy on her. William says her dementia is gone forever now. The prostitutes are at the bar now having a drink and discussing Anne and Albert and what they're going to do to pay the Nichols boys back. Polly earns some money until McQueen shows up and takes it and puts a blade to her eye. A constable shows up breaking it up. He tells Polly she's a dead woman. Polly is abandoned after she calls her friend a pig. Polly is with a man we can't see eating grapes and offered a drink. She's grabbed from behind and choked. We see her on the street, throat slit and her genitalia being mutilated. Her body is found by a constable and he whistles for help. A crowd gathers as Aberlene arrives. He notices she was killed somewhere else and brought here. He concludes there's more than one person involved as pictures of him are taken. He finds a grape stem and checks her lips for drink. Back to the morgue and the mortician's wretch. Peter wants to get revenge on the Nichols boys, where Aberlene says these murders are meticulous. He wants every veterinarian and butcher interviewed. He tells the men she was disemboweled and had her throat slit. At least one organ was removed. Aberlene meets with Sir Charles, and he says maybe it was a red Indian. Aberlene says it was a man who was educated with dissection. No one in Whitechapel could afford grapes. It must be someone with money. Sir Charles blames a Jew butcher. He brings up Aberlene's dreams and says only to proceed with proof. Keep me informed, he says, as he shoes him away. Bright red sky as we hear mobs forming, blaming Jews. Windows close and doors lock. Aberlene gets, some, gets home, turns on his phonograph, and gets in the bath. He smokes and makes a sketchy-looking drink. We see Aberlene with Victoria, who tells him she's pregnant with his child, and he wakes up in a panic. All right, Brian, that's the opening set of scenes I got. What do you think? Well, a uh, fun little fact right off the bat. At this point, this was, I think, the third Johnny Depp-led movie to start off with a quote, which... I mean, this may not be correct, but I feel like a few of the Pirates movies may have started off with a quote after this. I don't know. Write in, tell me I'm an idiot, what's new. But uh, 
what I'm not an idiot in saying is that the soundtrack by Trevor Jones, who was actually the first person signed on to this movie is phenomenal. It makes the movie to me like completely. It's, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a big blockbuster type of score that stood out to me on this rewatch. Um, the Hughes brothers, I think did a fantastic job with the shots and the directions while Peter Deming did a great job with the cinematography. This fucking one shot that opens this film with Mary walking through the town, I thought it's absolute chef's kiss. Uh, my favorite shot in the film. Uh, Deming actually did the the menu that we just covered here recently and Scream 2, 3, and 4. Check out those reviews. Don't go out there.com. Uh, but all that just combines to make this atmosphere that I think is just fantastic. I mean, just the flies that are all around them all the time, especially in the morgue, it feels like turn of the century, and I love it. Um Heather Graham playing Mary. She was so big right here in the late nineties. You know, she was just coming off boogie nights and Austin powers Two. Both were huge hits. If I'm not mistaken, she had just started dating Heath Ledger who was shooting a night's tale in the same studio. A lot as this love that movie, by the way, movie's fucking great. Uh, but she was huge in this like five year span of Hollywood. Um, obviously, like we talked about a lot of liberties taken with Mary, who is a pretty terrible prostitute. If we're being honest, I mean, in this movie, but I get what the uh, I get what the Hughes brothers were trying to do as far as you know trying to keep her. I don't know if pure is the right word here, but in the eyes of the audience, anyway, as a love interest, you know they they I guess didn't want to show her working. Let's put it that way. Um, now, as far as Depp and, and Aberlene goes, like I mentioned, and you talked about it too, obviously another huge deviation from well history, but this makes him more like well Johnny Depp, and uh, I'm for that. <laughs> you know, man. And Johnny, by the way, Johnny's aged so, like, he's aged a lot in the last 20 years. That partying lifestyle wears on you. But anyway, um, the writers combined his character with a psychic uh, who's been debunked as a huge fraud over the years. But a psychic that did help with the case. And look, it's like the legacies of people like Billy the Kid, for example, that are more, like, exciting when they're expounded upon. And that's really the, the playing field I consider Jack the Ripper, personally. Uh, a legacy that may not be historically accurate in this film, but... Dare I say it's more interesting than the real thing? Um, all in all, love the introduction to everyone in this scene, including, like I said, the time period, which almost is its own character here. Uh, you know, makes up for some of the issues, like some of the character stuff with the girls before the first kill. You know, the, the, the talk with Polly. It's a little cheesy, but it gets better after that. And this corner, man, I forgot about this police corner. My guy has to find a new job. Like, he may possibly be the worst corner I've ever seen in my life. Can someone get Tony Todd's ass in here, please, to help out here? Um, you know, as a, as a Lord of the Rings movie fan, Bilbo Baggins in this role here, God rest Ian Holmes soul who died in 2020, but it's hard for me to get past him as Bilbo Baggins now, which especially because the movie shows his like basically his true height in here. And it's, I don't know it, it and we'll get into it later when it's revealed, but he really is. It's just obviously, yeah, I don't know. It just, it bothers me, but I do, you know, I do like Averline's visions. I love the way that they're shot. I can't help but feel like Depp was right at home in these chasing the dragon scenes. Am I right? Uh, go ahead, Mike. <laughs> I thought it, I didn't write it down, but I thought the same thing. I was like, oh man, that ends up imitating uh, life at some point. Okay, but I love the opening. Like I really love the cold opening. I love the music. I love the the Jack the Ripper quote there. Um, I, like I love period pieces in general for the most part, anyway. And I feel like we don't get quite enough of them in horror. So when we get one, I'm like, oh man, okay, I'll, I'm going to be locked into this. And there are, there are, there are a lot of times where I am locked into this. 
Um, again, I took these notes live rounds, first time ever watching it. So some an- some questions get answered later, blah, 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 blah. You know the stick by now. Uh, she uses the lines that buttons are hard to come by. That's a great line because in modern day, button costs like 30 cents. But for someone in her line of work at this time period, she's probably right. Buttons were hard to come by. Um, speaking of, Heather Graham, I won't say it because I don't want to be labeled a creep or anything. But, uh, you know, there's a running gag on this show. Joke, as in not real, that I've been saying for a long time. But anyway. Um, it's not real? It's not real? No, it's not real. It's a joke. It's oh, a bit. Oh, I thought it was real the whole time. Oh, man. You believe pro, <laughs> you believe pro wrestling was real, too? It's not? Get oh, that shit. Man, I hate to break it to you. Um, it's okay. still real to me, uh, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Look, even... I'm sorry I wrote this, but even back in the day, broke bitches were jealous. I mean, as soon as this rich woman walks up, they're all mad at her. I, I mean, I'm just saying, you can't tell me there's not some truth to that. Broke people jealous of rich people. It happens all the time. Um, I understand that people want historical accuracy, but I think Johnny Depp brings something to this role where he makes it very, as Brian put it, Johnny Deppish. Like he's just playing. I don't want Johnny Depp to play a different character. He's Johnny, like he's playing himself trying to play another character. And I like that. He does it in Sweeney Todd. He does it in, in, a, in a lot of other movies. And I think he does a pretty good job here. Um, these drugged out cutscenes are really creepy, really trippy. I'm a big fan of them for the most part. There's one that I feel like I've fallen and hit my head and there's, you know, saw five, let, you know, on in the background. But other than that, I think these are really good and, and interesting the way they kind of show these, these, you know, drug trips he's going on. Um, Believe it or not, I actually like the fact that this first kill isn't fully shown. It's kept in the shadows. I think the bloody knife blade is a really cool shot. And so I, I like that. I like that creative choice there. Um, but I bet, you know, you're watching the hysteria in here in London. I bet things that happened like that back then were just absolutely insane because, yeah, we have the world at our fingertips now, but they sh- they certainly didn't. So somebody being cut up on the street is not a very, you know, commonplace especially in a city like that so i can only imagine what that's like um old medical treatments are a topic that i'm fascinated with the stuff we used to try to cure people with and you know these doctors or whatever the way they're they're trying to quote unquote solve things and cure things are very very interesting and i thought they did a good job as as dustin said in his intro kind of capturing the era of like old school medicine in that way i love this scene with the woman around the table because it's like a modern gossip lunch. You know, you're watching like a rom-com and you see all their friends out at lunch and they're talking shit about people. That's basically what the scene at the table is. <laughs> then you get this man in the alley that's trying to fuck. And I'm sorry, Dustin, but I wrote that's a typical Thursday for him at Roosters. What? <laughs> sorry, what'd I say? What'd I say? Um, <laughs> hey, you, but at the, so she gets killed. And you can't tell me the hand on the glass slide isn't influenced by my man, James Cameron's film, Titanic, which is very popular still at the time in 2001. I mean, they're even in a car. You can't tell me there's not a little bit of social influence there, social contagious. So shout out to Titanic as always. Um, look, I love this shot of the Ripper after he's killed Polly and he's leaving her on the street. I think it's iconic imagery for Jack the Ripper. I think, you know, all the drawings and animations I've seen, that's really what comes across on screen there. I think they did a great job capturing it. Um, and I don't mind showing after the kill as long as they actually show it and they don't hide it like a lot of other movies do that try to like tamp kills and tamp gore. Um, <laughs> I, 
So this man tried to blame everybody but the average white guy. He blamed Indians. He blamed Jews. This man's running through the roster like Clayton Bigsby, trying to blame everybody else but the average white or the advanced white dude, I guess. And here's a last thing, and it's a final note, a tip to all of you people. Don't drink too much absence. You'll end up kissing your sister in a European nightclub. Go ahead. That's a Eurotrip reference. You're welcome. It is. Um, <laughs> all right. So, yeah, I love starting with a quote from, from the actual Jack the Ripper. Uh, and then the opening score is great. But I'll be honest, it's kind of a letdown for the title card. Like, that's a very lackluster title card to me. It's fine. It's just, I don't know. I wanted something. Something so small can take something over the top sometimes. Um, I do like how we're brought into the scene. It's like we're walking down the street in London in 1888. Like, that that was really cool how we got a look around at our set and our costumes and, and everything. I thought that was great. Uh, the opening does feel a little chaotic to me, though. Like, there's a, a lot thrown at us. We meet this group of girl. Um, two different men pull knives on people. A couple are kidnapped mid-coitus. Then we hear our first stabbing with no real explanation of what our primary storyline is that we're going to be following. And so it's kind of it kind of you're behind the eight ball a little bit at first, trying to figure out which direction we're going. Uh, then we meet Aberline, and you just got to love a cop that hangs out in an opium den. Like, that, that's cool. Um his visions to me, I felt, I felt like a, a yeah, what you're saying, like it felt very typical real life dip, but it was also shot in a way as like, ah, made me think of Rob Zombie. So I'm probably going to watch Rob Zombie movie later. Um, it, we get our second victim here off, you know, in our first few minutes. And it just, it baffles me that Jack the Ripper in real life was able to do all this shit on the sidewalk. Or, you know, out in the open, like you were talking about, Mike, it's just, it's crazy that, uh, he's able to kill as many as he did and not get caught. And then, yeah, the open racism is just absolutely wild. It just shows the times, like in 1888, it's like, ah, oh, it was a red Indian or as a Jew. That's just crazy stuff to watch in 2023. He's definitely canceled. And then, look, I know everyone has their vices. But my man Aberline goes hard. What a damn cocktail he made. I was just th- I thought the same thing. <laughs> like absinthe is, yeah. Absinthe is wild enough, but he also put laudanum in it and like holy shit, buddy. Like all right. Uh he's not welcome to come to Roosters with me because I'll end up in a damn hospital. But uh it's a solid open once it kind of levels out, once you know which way we're going and you know who the primary focuses are, which obviously you know who it is because Johnny Depp and Heather Graham are on the poster, so you know that's, they're important people, but um, I guess the secondary characters, once you figure out what we're doing, it's a solid open. All right, we're at Polly's funeral, and they drop her casket into the tomb. The women drop flowers on her as Aberlene and Peter walk up. They ask for the lady's help, but they begin to walk away and blame a queen. Aberlene says he can't do anything if no one testifies against him. The women are all in a room, and Mary tells her of, of her mother and back home. Annie asks about the clean-shaven men who abducted Anne and Albert. She thinks they were officials and they should go to the papers. Mary thinks they should talk to the inspector and not go to the papers. The room's owner barges in, smacking Annie and kicks them all out. That shit was wild as hell. We see Jack the Ripper eating and preparing drinks as Netley sits on the horse and buggy. The carriage stops when they see Annie walking. Netley says he was looking for her for his gentleman. He's waiting for you on Hanover Street. He drops the steps down to her and gives her grapes. She gets in the carriage, eating the grapes and drinking. She exits the buggy and is escorted to an alley. She's paid two florin and walks down the alley. She's bludgeoned and we hear her clothes rip. Aberlene walks up on her dead corpse in the street. 
The townsfolk say it's ridiculous and for them to do something about this. Aberlene says he saw her face last night. They hide her body as Aberlene investigates the body. He finds more grape stems. This ain't killing for profit. It's ritual. Aberlene closes her eyes and places coins on her eyes. It's for the ferryman. Aberlene says to Sir Charles he needs to consult a surgeon. His request is denied for a surgeon. We're at London Hospital as John Merrick is revealed to the crowd to their disgust. Aberlene walks up to Dr. Farrell and asks for his help. He shoots him down as Sir William asks how he can assist him. He was a surgeon but suffered a brain seizure six months ago. Aberlene draws a knife and asks what kind is it. A listed knife, he says, and asks for the police report. He reads it over and asks Aberlene questions. He tells William he found grapes and laudanum on the victim. He tells Aberlene the killer is right-handed and is using more than a listed knife. Aberlene asks if the killer is a surgeon himself. He's advised to look for someone educated on human anatomy. Buckingham Palace, Sir William meets with Queen Victoria about her grandson's health. She thinks he's suffering greatly in his mind. Aberlene shows Peter and the other constables where he wants double security. Jack the Ripper asks Netley why was he called here. He says he can't take it anymore. He comforts him and Netley begins to weep, not understanding. We are in hell, Netley. Mary is grabbed by Peter and put into a carriage with Aberlene. She says she'll testify against McQueen, but he tells her it'll only lock him up for a year or two and his boys would kill her. They're at dinner now and she's wolfing her dinner down. He tells her she'll be a great mom one day and says he does have visions. He asks to think carefully about anything happening to her or friends out the ordinary. Aberlene says Anne's child and her grandparents are missing now. Aberlene is trying to meet with Ben Kidney and says he was told to meet him. He gets sassy with the desk man to learn where his office is. He goes into the file room and looks through a book called Cleveland Street. Ben Kidney makes it back to his office and Peter lights a barrel on fire, causing an explosion to signal for Aberlene. And he sneaks out of the building amongst the chaos. All right, Brian, the next set of scenes I got. What'd you think? So, admittedly, I do kind of take, uh, I don't know. I, it just, the scenes during the day, I have a little bit of an issue with. I mean, they feel a little bit out of place to me. Uh, I can't really explain it. Like, like the funeral scene. You know, I know it was theirs basically so Mary Kelly could talk to Averline in such a way that I'm not sure she ever would have in real life. But, like, you know, like in Sweeney Todd, you know, for an example, you brought him up or brought it up earlier. Burton just does these type of scenes better. And it just it just found me wishing Burton had done this, done this movie during scenes like this. That's all. Um, you know, kind of a sad fact here um, about the uh, about the dark Annie kill scene. It was actually actresses Katrin uh, Cartledge's last ever scene on film. Uh, she died a year later from complications of pneumonia, apparently. Uh, but it was it was a decent death scene. I, I wish they would have shown a little more. But as you know, I kind of touch base on uh, in the last kill um, in the final scene. They were really worried about getting an NC-17 rating. So I suspect that's why some of these were, were some of these kills were, were dumbed down. Um, it was just I don't know. It was just disappointing. That's all. You know, and, and as we discussed in our stream two review uh, in 1998, that the fucking MPAA was really being they were really being dicks during this time period. So, I mean, I, I get it. They were, they were being hardcore. Um, I think the scene where it shows the elephant man, Joseph Merrick could have been cut. Like I get the first medical scene and why it was included, but this one kind of makes no sense to me, I guess, besides to show the discussions between people and the, and the society or, or just the cruelty of the time or, or both. I don't know, but there was no need for it. In my opinion, just pick up with Aberlene busting into their party. I'm uh, I'm also not the biggest fan of the police briefing scene either. Uh, first of all, how Aberlene gets the dots connected as the, and I, I pun intended there, uh, as the, as the start of the star 
it is beyond me because literally it looks just like a fucking line between two dots. I don't know how he said, Oh, that's going to be a star. I think they could have done a little bit better job with that, but okay. Um, they do have the real life crime scene photos on the wall, which is it's okay. But the jokes made by the officers took me out of it. It didn't really fit the seriousness of the scene to me. And even the Ripper, you know, talking to my guy, Netley with, with the Netley's got that MMA fighter cauliflower ear too. Um, what's the point of that? You know, besides just to harp on the from hell aspect of the Ripper letter and obviously the movie namesake, I just, I didn't get that either. Um, I think Averline sneaking into the records room is hilarious. I mean, the whole, the whole thing is so top secret that it's filed away for anyone to easily find hilarious. Uh, not to mention Averline uses real name to get in there. Uh, did he not think that they'd find out that it was fucking him that went in there? I mean, like, I don't know. I, honestly, this is my least favorite set of scenes in the movie. If I'm being real. Yeah. Definitely find it the most boring and a, like a slog to get through. Like it, it's, it's, this is what I talked about in my open where the movie really kind of starts to slow down when I wish it would have, if it either, if it had started this way, okay, maybe we're building up to something, but I think to go balls to the wall and then kind of cut it off after that really kind of threw me for a loop. Uh, but you know, uh, anyway, how do you drop a casket? Uh, I've, I don't know. Has anyone ever been to a funeral where that happens? Cause I've never seen it. Uh, um, <laughs> all these white women had big fuck the police energy, which, at that time, probably would have gotten you hung in public. So, you know, a little historical inaccuracy there. Um, you know, they show the meat being eaten, and I understand why they did that for, for imagery purposes. But, God, that was a bad piece of – I mean, I know it's not prime rib, but that looked like prime rib, and that was too rare for me, man. You got to get it just right. That, that that meat is basically raw. Man, might as well been, as my, as my family has called it growing up, cow sushi uh, when, when you eat it that raw, which I think makes no sense, but it's hilarious. Um, you know, really these quote unquote prostitutes, which I, you know, let's be politically correct here, call them sex workers. Okay. Uh, they would have done it for food. I mean, it shows that through, <laughs> they would have done whatever you wanted just to get a little bite to eat. I think that's something I liked that aspect because it showed, you know, at that time, that's just what it, what you had to do to, or what you could do to survive. Um, this is probably the first like cut scene where Johnny Depp goes on a drug cocktail trip that I didn't really enjoy. Like I mentioned earlier, it just kind of felt like I'd fallen, hit my head and there's, there's, you know, and my eyes are all blurry and I have a concussion. Somebody left saw on in the back. It was a little too trippy. Kind of took me out of it. Also forgot just how prevalent bounty hunters were in this time period. And so the line killing for profit, I thought was, you know, really, really nice. And it was a very small line. You know, those are kind of subtle things I look for where I'm like, oh, yeah, of course, back then someone would kill kill for profit. I mean, just look at Django Unchained. That's not based on a true story or anything. But, like, you know, bounty hunters did exist back then. Um, <laughs> that You mentioned the Elephant Man scene. and not saying I like it, but you know what it reminded me of? And this is kind of a commentary on how I feel about how all this stuff goes. It reminded me of a D1 college football coach having a summer clinic at the quarterback club meeting at the country club trying to present new stadium renovations like it was very disingenuous and gross and 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 you know fake as hell like that's the way i took it it felt like they had the elephant man on circus and i didn't i didn't like that either i thought it was unnecessary just because we'd already kind of got that you know the medical scene and and we, and we get the point i don't feel like i don't know it just didn't it felt like it was there to have some kind of shock and awe i didn't really enjoy that i like the parts where where um, 
where the doctor and Depp are going back and forth, but it does slow the movie down. It slows it way down. Like I know we're trying to fill in some story, have some exposition dump, but again, I just think it really takes the wind out of the sails. Uh, I'm just finally glad that after like 34 minute absence, we get to see Heather Graham back on screen. I mean, I don't mean this in a call me sometime way. I mean this in a, I felt like Heather Graham was misused in this movie as a character. Like, I feel like there could have been more Mary Kelly. You mentioned how popular Heather Graham was at the time, Brian. I, I felt like you could have really, you know, used her more. If you're going to fictionalize the story anyway, I felt like you could have had her be a bigger part of it. Um, and last thing, I wouldn't believe anybody that told me they were having visions about me. That's a little weird. And a little creepy. And, you know, if there's something I know a thing or two about, it's being a creep. I've used it. I dreamed about you. Here it works. <laughs> All right, Urban Meyer. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but I agree before I forget, because I didn't write this. I didn't put it in my notes. But before I forget, I agree with uh, with Brian about the elephant man. Like, And I give, I'll give what you're saying, too, Mike. Like it, you can appreciate that they included it. But it was just pointless to me. Like it. No, that's fair. It was mm-hmm. just... All it did was take up time in a movie that felt like this This part especially drug. Uh, you want to talk about a traumatic experience, though. Your friend died, and it's bad enough that the casket was dropped, but the damn thing fell apart, and then you see her face and her throat's all stitched up. Like, woof, that's that's some rough shit to deal with there. Um, <laughs> one of the things that happens like, this. in this <laughs> set of scenes that just it, it made me, it stood out to me, and I liked it a lot was I like the sequences that we get here when the murders happen. Like, if the murders are going to be off screen, like, we're not going to get a clear look at the murders, at least give us something unique or cool. And this movie definitely does it. Like, we get the flashes and, the and the like, the cut scene style that it's shot. I really like that. And then I'll keep mine short and sweet because, yeah, I agree. This was a tough set of scenes for notes and my least favorite scenes in the movie. But uh, my man Hagrid, he made a cool-ass bomb to get, you know, out of that barrel. He definitely learned that at Hogwarts, but that was, that was crazy. I agree with what you said, Brian, like that, just the logic of that. He walks into a place and uses his real name and then an upstanding sergeant is going to create an explosion to get out of it. Like, I feel like that's a little bit of a, they took some liberties there, but um, yeah, I was, I was ready to get to the next set of scenes for sure. Ben and his men look through the room and they say, he's been here. He can smell him. Haberlene and Mary go to visit Anne. They're told she has a lot of mental disorders and she's violent to herself and others. They ask Anne if she remembers Mary and she says, go away. Alice is laughing to me all day long, she says. He asks about Alice's father. Haberlene asks about Albert and his paintings. He promises to help baby Alice, but not yet. He needs more time. He tells her his wife passed away giving birth to his son. They head to the gallery now to look at paintings. He shows her and he asks if she knows him. It's Albert. Aberlene is at Williams and barges in. He needs to speak. Dr. Farrell says he's sick and can't have visitors. William okays his visit and they have tea. He says Prince Edward being Jack the Ripper is incomprehensible. He tells Aberlene Albert has syphilis. The disease is far along enough to where his hands shake. He can't cut the women and he knows nothing of anatomy. Underground, we see Ben Kidney, Sir Charles, and other important men watching Dr. Farrell being sworn into the Freemasons. Aberlene thinks all the letters are rubbish, and Peter thinks he's, he's foolish for trusting in Mary. A kidney is delivered to Aberlene from her from hell. Excuse me. Mary tells the other women about the Albert portrait. Aberlene asks for Mary to come outside and talk. He wants her and her friends off the street and gives her money for a room and instructions after three days. 
She wants to show him the village she was born. She goes to kiss him and he stops her. She gets offended until he presses her to the wall, kissing her. Liz and Ada are dancing in the room humming. Ada pushes Liz away as she tries to kiss her. An argument ensues and the window is broken. Averling tells Peter Ben Kidney used to assist surgeons in the guards. Ben wants to take them all out because the baby was an heir to England and she and could bring down bring it all down to pieces. Liz is picked up by Jack the Ripper and offered a drink. She shoots it immediately and he asks if she'd like to go somewhere. She says, follow me. She drops the grapes and she tries to run away. Nellie captures her and he yells at Lipsky to go away. Liz has her throat slit. A man with a horse and buggy finds her body on the ground. Aberlene tells Peter he didn't finish the kill. He won't be satisfied by this. Aberlene envisions the, the knives and tools. He walks down the street. A man appears in front of Kate and slices her throat. Aberlene is tripped and thrown into a wall. Withers tells him to find a scapegoat and headbutts him. They leave his body in the alley. Nellie says, let's hurry up then. Then is asked for a piece of chalk. Aberlene wakes up to a ruckus. He runs to the crime scene as we see Kate is dead. Sir Charles tells the press to leave and for him to wash that message off the wall. Peter is ordered to have two constables to wash it off and Aberlene is suspended from duty. Aberlene leaves a letter with the bartender and tells him it's private. He's packing up his office and looks at the crime evidence again. He takes the grape stems. He's at home high and has another vision. He sees Mary's death happening. Mary leaves the bar with, with her letter and Nettley stares her down. Next set of scenes are ending. Brian, what'd you think? All right. So yeah, first of all, this throat slash on Liz is absolutely phenomenal. Definitely my favorite kill of the movie. I don't know how much of that was CG and how much of it was makeup, which I mean, that's always a good thing, but I'm going to give props to, to Neil Gorton, the makeup department supervisor and his team, as well as George Gibbs, special effects supervisor. Fantastic job there. I'm really all throughout, but especially on that kill. Um, you know, it is a little humorous though, that apparently such great care was taken to accurately reproduce the actual sites of the Ripper, Ripper murders. They used illustrations, actual photographs, and the wounds. Why? I mean, why cherry pick You know what to be historically accurate on and what not to be? I don't know. Just do what you want. But, okay. Um, it was accurately represented, I guess, apparently. So I'll just throw that in there. And uh, here in this set of scenes where the Ripper asked Nedley for a piece of chalk, it's here... And I don't know if it's on purpose or not, but they don't cover up the Ripper's voice. And I don't know if it's just the way that they shot the two talking, but you can easily tell here that it's Ian Holm and basically how short he is. You know, and I've always hated that about this because it really takes away the reveal to me because I'm I mean, I'm sorry. Holm is just not that menacing, uh, you know, like I touched on earlier. So it just it takes away a little bit from that at all. I wish they would have hidden that a little bit better. Um, I don't really have a lot on the set of scenes. Uh, I'm I'm just ready to get to the ending at this point. Yeah, um, it's really disturbing stuff when we see Anne Crook again. Like that is just absolutely brutal what they did to her, and it's 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 honestly chilling to see how much of a shell of herself that she was, and then the the look that she has now. So that one stuck with me. Um, I really like the conversation we get between Everline and uh, Sir William here. It's just good stuff here to give us a broader look at the possibilities. Um, it's it's very essential uh, plot details there, so I really like that. And then this motherfucker pulled out a full shot glass out of his coat, and Liz didn't think that was a red flag. She just got on in. Come on, man. Like He pulled that shit from <laughs> under his coat like it. Ah, anyway, I get it, though. If you're, if you're wanting to get fucked up, just don't ask questions. Just drink it. Um and then he kills Liz, and then he did a drive-by throat slash on Kate. 
So that's like we're, we're <clears throat> our pacing is picking up here. And I thought that drive by throw slash was <laughs> brutal to the point and kind of awesome. Uh, yeah, you know, we're a big fan of throat slashes on this show. So I thought that was cool, but yeah, I don't have a lot of notes on this set of scenes. I'm just thankful that the pacing is picking up and the information that we got in this set of scenes was more essential to the story than the crap we got last set. So it's an improvement. Oh uh, yeah. Just to kind of go back to the end of the last set of scenes. I put it on this one. I'm not really sure why I just kind of was a little off on the cutoff there, but that's okay. I said, we kind of pick up where where the last set of scenes left off, you know, the movie slowed down a bit, gone, holy shit, a fucking explosion. Like, that's like it was, you know, like you mentioned, the last set of scenes out of nowhere, did slow, 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 boom, there's an explosion. That thing doesn't really fit and make any sense. But uh, anyway, look, I can't imagine a mental institution around this time period. Like, if you think, you know, especially for a woman, if you think people are treated like dog shit now, man, I can't even imagine the kind of insane treatments they went through back then. Uh, I think that's the kind of stuff that adds a little bit of um, scary to this movie, for lack of a better term. Um, here's something I didn't need. And maybe it was just me, but I, I didn't need these two falling in love. Like, I don't really know if that adds anything uh, or it didn't for me. Like, I think this would have been just like maybe her trying to help out and trying to, uh, you know, just solve the murder of her friend. But, you know, it, and I, again, if that's true to life, I'm un. I'm unfamiliar with the story. If that's true to life, okay. But I'm not a big fan of having a love plot in this movie. I, I, it didn't do much for me. And again, we get more scenes of the doctor and the detective. But this is kind of the first time where I'm like, hmm, about this doctor. Like, I, I, I think, I'm like, ah, eh, there's something a little off here. And he's already mentioned the fact that the murderer is probably an, an educated man. But it was my first time seeing it. So I wasn't sure if they were going to, quote, unquote, solve this case or are they going to not solve the case? Because that would be historically accurate. So I really wasn't sure upon first watch what they were leading me to, uh, which is, you know, interesting if you've never seen the movie and you don't know Jack the Ripper that well, you know, them solving it, quote unquote, is a, definitely a choice they can make. Um, and again, I think that leads to a lot of unnecessary red herrings. But I think, you know, in this set of scenes, we start to get a clearer picture of, of who they think Jack the Ripper really is. Also, this prostitute being gay in public is, holy shit, that takes balls. In the 1800s, she's out at a bar or club or whatever. I know it's a seedy night scene, but my God, man, that would have, that would not have been good. And, you know, I know this woman is drunk, but she makes the decision to go into an alley and a man or, you know, with a man where there's a murderer out and we all know there's a murderer out. Like, that's just dumb horror movie character 101 stuff right there. Um, <laughs> I just, I have a hard time believing that, even though she is technically a sex worker like that kind of that kind of threw me off. All right, best kill of the film. I say it in my closing. This throat slash is fucking awesome, man. I absolutely love it. They finally show it happening, and I think they do a great job. The effects look good. The kill looks good. I love the way that this movie shoots the knives, like how they almost shine when they make a kill. I think that was a, a really good creative choice. Very, very good kill, although the blood looks a little saw 3D pink here on her throat, but I still think it looks good, you know, not to take anything away. Um, and I feel like we finally turned the pace up, as Dustin said, gone back to a horror movie a little bit. I will say Catherine got killed with the quickness. Uh, that's, you know, that was a quick, quick kill that we didn't really see, but we see the after effects, so I'm okay with it. I will say, and this is my last thing, it's a trope in these, like, detective movies where the lead detective somehow ends up off the case 
because people think he's a nut job or she's a nut job and she, they end up being taken off the case. It even happens in a movie that takes place in the 1800s. I, I hate that trope. Like it just, just, just stop doing that. Every, every true crime or crime case movie that we see that ends up happening. And I just don't like that trope. All right, guys, here's the ending. Everline is doing more research as we see Mary's door open from the broken window. It's Ada. She's brought supper. Mary tells her it's not safe being with her. Everline goes into Sir William's home as Ben Kidney watches on. Netley breaks into Mary's room after Ada leaves. William asks if it's okay to continue dressing as they talk. He asks him about the deaths and says they're reenactments. Jack the Ripper is executing traitors. He says he will stop him. He asks if he was asked to keep secret the prince's marriage. William's eyes go black now, which I thought was cool. He is the, he is Jack the Ripper. Averline pulls out a gun to shoot him, but is hit in the back of the head by Ben Kidney. William leaves the house and gets in his carriage. We see Averline bound with Ben and Dr. Farrell. They go to inject him, but he headbutts Farrell and kicks Ben out the window. He hangs over the side of the door, and his head is hit by the wheel repeatedly. The carriage flips over and skids on the ground. Averline exits the flipped carriage and limps away as people ask if he's all right. William opens Mary's door and enters her room and sits on the bed with her as Averline runs as fast as he can to her room. He grabs Mary's throat and cuts it. He lights candles, dismembers her body. William says the heart is a dense, powerful muscle. It's notoriously difficult to burn. He speaks on the heart's makeup and how it powers the circulatory system. He removes Mary's heart and puts it in a pot over a fire. The pot boils over quickly and he smiles. He's in the lobotomy session now, being applauded. Aberlene makes it to the room and sees her decimated body. He grabs her Charles and throws him into the wall. He says he'll bring down all of them. Charles picks his ring up and walks away. Aberlene goes back into the room as the forensic team writes down the state of her body. Aberlene goes to the bar and gets a letter from Mary she left. She says she's going to the orphanage to find Alice. She thought they could be happy in her old village by the sea. Queen Victoria says she's grateful for Sir William, but wants to hear nothing more of it. William says none of them are fit to judge him. A lobotomy is performed on him and he's locked away. Peter asks Aberlene if he wants to live like a ghost. He rips up the letter and lights it on fire. We see Mary in her old village calling for Alice. Aberlene wakes up from his vision. Peter tells him to get up, but he realizes he's dead. He takes the two coins from his hand and places them on his closed eyes. Good night, sweet prince, he says as the film ends. All right, Brian, what would you think about the ending? I mean, it was fine. I don't know, a little bit more miss than hit for me. Um, I do like this swerve with Ada and Mary. Uh, my biggest complaint is that, you know, it wrapped things up too nicely. And for the Ripper case being so famously unsolved, like Mike brought up, I would have liked that. Um, you know, plus, like I mentioned, I wasn't the biggest fan of the reveal with Goal, especially, you know, with the the basically supernatural aspect and his eyes turning black during the reveal. reveal. And, you know, his voice changing, not to mention old dude slipped in on a police detective without being seen like that. He hit Depp on on the side that he turned around on. Like, I don't know. It just it was a lot for me to let go, I guess, is what I was trying to say. I would have liked to have seen him, you know, think it was gold, but in the end, never really be sure. Maybe, um, you know, and it would have given him a little bit more reason to not go to Mary, you know, if, if he thinks that that Ripper's still out there. But, you know, now I, I did love the scene in the carriage and that crash dragging Warren's ass on that pavement after he hits the wheel. I thought that was fantastic. But, man, that final scene with Ada. So the police officer describing the scene so it can be written down as evidence are actually lines taken from the real life crime scene report. And the final murderer 
was the only one in the movie that didn't exactly follow the wound patterns and stuff found in the actual victims. Like I mentioned, like they toned it down because of their fear of that NC-17 rating, but given the rest of the movie and really only what two graphic kills, I think that would have been a shocking ass way to end on. Like the victim, you know, just showed it. That would have been like, holy shit. And I think it would have left you as an audience, like despite any issues with, with none of the other kills being shown, I think you would have forgotten a lot of that if it would have ended on this. Um, the victim was found with both breasts severed, every facial feature slashed and torn and her belly cut open. Her intestines were hung around the room like Christmas garland. A well-known, there's actually a well-known photograph of the victim still in her death pose, as they say. It's included in almost every book about the Ripper murders. And, you know, I mean, maybe they would have got NC-17. Maybe they could have, you know, I don't know. I, I just, I think it would have been a really cool thing to end on. All in all, kind of like I said, more of a miss for me than a hit as far as the ending goes. But Yeah, I feel the same way. I feel like this would have been one time to maybe, <laughs> maybe go a little grounded. I only say that because... They start, like I said, started the movie wild, dull in the middle, and then brought it back to being really wild with Freemasonry and, and, and you know, not possession, but the lack of a better word, like possession. There's some supernatural stuff there that, I don't know, it didn't fit with a lot of everything else that was going on. Uh, and I thought it was a little bit of a jump. I don't mind the quote-unquote killer being goal, but I feel like you said, Brian, Jack the Ripper case is so famous because it's unsolved, technically. I mean, there's definitely some good clues out there that I've seen at least just, you know, casually that maybe someone has finally found who who it could have been. But, I mean, I you know, famously, it's unsolved. And I think that makes it the case that it is. So trying to fictionally solve it is a little weird. You know, I don't mind rewriting of history. You know, Inglorious Bastards is one of my favorite movies, and it doesn't quite get the death of Hitler historically accurate. So I think, you know, you can do fantastical history. I just thought it didn't work in this particular case. Um, I think they have a good jump scare here at, at the start because of Depp's vision of Mary Kelly. Uh, and it, it, it ends up being one of the other workers. And I think that, you know, I don't really like a jump scare, but that was a pretty good one. Uh, I do, I will say in the previous set of scenes, I thought they gave away goal being Jack the Ripper. And so when it finally is revealed, it, 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 it was uh, not, not some big thing. Like I thought it was just okay. There's a fight slash chase scene that I think is absolutely hilarious that it takes place in a carriage drawn by horse because we're so used to seeing these kinds of things in cars and modern movies. And I think that it's absolutely fucking funny that this one takes place in a horse-drawn carriage. I thought that was great. Um, it, I do like the scene where Goal is going mad, and it's like, you know, you mentioned the supernatural. Facial expressions, as far as the acting and stuff, is great. But again, not a big, not a huge fan of the reveal. Um, I did not see this movie turning into a Freemason conspiracy one that 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 is something or not even conspiracy because freemasons are real but i'm just like i did not see this movie taking that direction i thought you know it, it was just a little odd i do i will say deb's character dying kind of makes sense uh maybe too neat of a bow like you mentioned but you know he did do a lot of drugs a lot of drugs a, lot, a major cocktail as dustin mentioned earlier so i understand him you know dying at the end that makes sense to me so uh, a mixed bag here at the end. I kind of wish they had just followed the true stuff and not had the the case be solved. And maybe that's what led to Depp's death because he couldn't solve it. But like that would have been maybe a little bit of a better character direction. Yeah. So uh, first, you know, we get a very tense scene when Ada sneaks into the room with the groceries. Like, damn, girl, 
it did not have to be that much of a situation. You just got some bread. But and then I think it's a cool revelation that Sir William is the Ripper. I, I, I too, kind of put the two and two together before the actual reveal, but the whole time you're kind of reserving hope. Like, no, he's he's working with the Queen. Like, it couldn't be him. And so I, I liked it. It was that. Uh, and, you know, he was kind of helping Aberline earlier. He was steering him in the right direction. And that, and I do kind of like how black his eyes got because uh, I saw a quote that said, you know, the eyes are the window into the soul. And so when it's revealed that he's evil, it's showing that he's got a black soul. So I, I thought that was cool. Um, it was hilarious when Buddy got kicked through the window and his head kept smacking off the side of that well in the stagecoach. Like I laughed my ass off. Did he die? Because if he did, that's my favorite kill. Spoiler. Like, that shit was hilarious to me. Um, and then, god dang, he butchered the hell out of old girl. And then he had an out-of-body experience. That was kind of odd to me. Like, when he's slicing her up, and then all of a sudden he transports to the uh, to the classroom, and he's teaching and all that. Like, that, that I could have done without. Because that, to me, shows, the, like, that signs of he was more crazy than we'd been led to believe, although the real Jack the Ripper was thought to be a schizophrenic person and not someone as well-educated. So maybe that was them trying to blend the two and shows that, uh, you know, he was crazy. But And then uh, when the police officer is describing the scene so it could be written down as evidence, those lines were taken directly from the real-life uh, crime report. That was That's a really cool addition as well, um, that that's verbatim. And then I love the revelation that it wasn't Mary that died there. Uh, I mean, but wouldn't Ripper, wouldn't the Ripper have known that that wasn't Mary? Like they, he was very particular and very careful about getting the right girls this whole movie, this whole time. And Netley had been watching the girls closely. Netley got a good look at her and he just didn't even seem to notice or care that he got the wrong girl. Like that doesn't work for me. I actually really hate that. And then the ending Aberline dying, yes, I agree. It makes sense that he died, but why? It was kind of pointless to have him die. He'd already decided he's not going to go off to the countryside and be with Mary and all this, but it just seemed like it was a pointless death. And I do like the callback that we got to earlier, though, because he was telling uh, you know, Sergeant Peter about the, the ferryman and why he put the coins on the eyes. So I like that callback there, but it just seems like an unnecessary conclusion for him and the movie. He could have lived happily ever after, or he could have just, you know, leave it up for who knows what happened to him. But to show him dying that quickly after, uh, you know, everything that was unraveled. And then it's also wild to me that this movie, I agree, Mike, it was wild. It was wild to say that uh, the Queen of England was somewhat involved with <laughs> Jack the Ripper. Like she was kind of his sponsor because she wanted, it, she wanted the problem taken care of. And so if that's the case, then. If the Freemasons were behind it and Queen of England was well aware, I have a hard time believing that they would have sterilized him and thrown him in the hole like that butt-ass naked. Like It seems like they would have taken care of him a little bit more than that, but I don't know. It's an it's a fascinating ending, to say the least. All right, I got a question, because maybe I missed it in my two watches, but Mary survived? I thought that when we saw Mary in her old village, I thought that was just like a vision from Aberlon before he died. I might have missed it. I'm just curious. Well, she left in the... She the left note. him the uh, letter that said that she's picking up baby Alice and going off to her village. And he was like, no, I can't go. 
because they're going to be watching me, and I don't want to put her in danger, and he threw the letters in the fire. Okay, I must have missed. I thought that she turned that letter in maybe that night before she was going to leave in the morning. I don't know. I'm, I might be. I might have just missed it because you know I was typing the whole time, so maybe I just missed it. But I thought she died. But and okay. Aberlene like picking up that brunette lock of hair is when he knew that that was Ada, not me. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That makes sense then. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I missed that then. Okay. Cool. Uh, I'm glad you guys revealed that to me. I definitely <laughs> missed that. I, I thought it was weird when he looked at the hair, but. I didn't, I didn't even pick up on that, so that was cool. Uh, let's jump into the social media comments and questions. We'll do Twitter first. Go Dogs, Randy Smith said, my vote for last month. I do remember this movie being a little better than it was, but I have not I have seen way worse movies. Six out of ten. Can't wait for y'all's take back-to-back like Georgia with some greats. Kevin Bacon last week and Johnny Depp this week. Georgia fans, man. They're the best, ain't they? Uh, <laughs> all right, Andrew Ferguson tweeted us saying, great movie. I love how the killer – had to be a particularly well-educated butcher because there is no way that someone in high society would be capable of such atrocities. Makes you wonder how many crimes went unsolved just because nobody in that circle were investigated. That's still how it goes nowadays, brother. I would think uh, if you yeah. if you got power, you're you can escape the corruption a lot. All right, uh, jump over to Facebook. Uh, Dustin's burner account. Dex Cole said, "This is one of my favorite horror movies. I saw it just recently, and I think it's one I would recommend to anyone getting into horror films." Ian Holm is fantastic and steals the show for me. Okay. And we'll jump over to Instagram now. This is the last comment we have is from Matt Strickland. Love this movie the first time I saw it. Regardless of the fact they never caught Jack the Ripper in real life, it was still entertaining as hell. The way they brought the victims from the original investigation in life was outstanding. Seeing not seeing Jack kill on screen was pretty crazy and brutal. Probably pretty close to how the real life, the real Jack did it. Anyways, great pick, Brian. Looking forward to hearing y'all's review. Appreciate that, man. It means a lot yeah, to absolutely. us. Absolutely. Uh, Brian, Dustin, you want to jump into any fun facts? Y'all have any? I said all mine, buddy. I got a few. And, uh, if I repeat anything you said, just ignore it or cut it. That's my bad. (laughs) So, uh, in real life, the commissioner of police, Charles Warren never arrived at the site of the fifth murder because he had resigned shortly before. Strangely before his resignation, he ordered that no police officer was to enter a crime scene until he arrived, even though all the previous victims had been killed on the street. So no officer or investigator entered the building for three hours because they were unaware of his resignation. That's kind of crazy. Um, Though there are many rumors and speculations as to whether the victims knew each other, there's no real evidence that they did. So this whole friend group is kind of bullshit. Uh, The Hughes brothers originally wanted Daniel Day-Lewis to play the lead role. But when that fell through, they interviewed Sir Sean Connery, Jude Law, and Brad Pitt before settling on Johnny Depp. I'm glad they went this route, especially over Brad Pitt. Uh, according to John Douglas, <laughs> creator of criminal profiling, the Ripper murders were a work of a disorganized, paranoid personality, not the calculating one shown in this movie. So that's what I was talking about earlier. Uh, Prince Albert Victor is depicted in the movie as dying of syphilis, but in real life, he died of influenza uh, in 1892 at 28 years old. There's no evidence that he ever had syphilis. Him and, so, him and everybody else. <laughs> yeah. But imagine that. Imagine that. Like, your legacy, your your relatives, your living relatives, and when this movie's made, like damn, he didn't die of syphilis. Like you're besmirching my family. I know, but gotta be careful with those things. <laughs> the last one that I've got is that Johnny Depp's character was based on Inspector Frank Aberline of Scotland Yard, who was in charge of the investigation in the East End. In real life, Aberline was neither a heroin addict nor a, suppo- a supposed clairvoyant. He died in 1929 in England at the age of 86. Not shortly after the investigation in Hong Kong. Uh, which is shown in the alternate ending. 
Robbie Coltrane's character is loosely based on George Godley, who at the time of the Ripper murders was a sergeant at Bethnal Green. Bethnal? Yeah. So there you go. This is where we do the budget. Oh, I thought, sorry, I didn't know. My bad, man. Thought, thought we weren't done. Uh, the budget for this movie was a cool $35 million, and it grossed the average salary that that Brian makes every year, which is $74.6 million. So, whatever. whatever. That was too good. I'm just going to laugh at that. <laughs> Honestly, I, my, my bad. I thought there were more fun facts. My bad. My bad. You good, brother. <laughs> All right. Let's jump into our favorite kill. They say we're killing the rating. Uh, I'll kick us off. Favorite kill. I'm going to agree with you guys. The throat slash that we got to see real up close, I thought looked really good. That was probably my favorite, but I agree with you, Dustin. Uh, ben Kidney hanging <laughs> over the carriage, getting his head beat on the stagecoach wheel was the funniest for sure. Least favorite kill. I'm going to go with Aberline just because that was my, he was my favorite Same. character in the yeah. movie. Uh, rating. I kind of mentioned at the beginning. It was good. It was a good movie for a couple of watches. I probably do need to watch it one more time, just considering I missed the most obvious shit at the very end. But <laughs> anywho, uh, I thought Johnny Depp was great as well. He's good in all of these style of movies. I think he's a fantastic actor. I loved him. I think everyone else around him did a really good job as well. Like Dustin mentioned earlier, they did a great job with the set design, the feel of the time. I thought it was great. Just not super rewatchable. Not something I want to pop on again anytime soon. And I agree, like Brian mentioned in his opening statements, just, you know, middle-of-the-road movie. I gave it a 6.5. Uh, look, I love the idea and the premise of this film. Uh, and at times, it really does a good job of getting me hooked into the story. Uh, and at other times, it's slow and it loses me. I feel like it's trying to be a lot of different genres at once, which can be done. But I feel like in this particular story, it hurts it. Uh, I thought Depp was great. Graham was underutilized. Robbie fucking Coltrane was great as always. Um, I love the London setting, you know, Dustin mentioned capturing the era. I think they did a great job. Loved a lot of the tracking shots as well as we kind of lead the Jack the Ripper, you know, crime scene, see London. I like some of that stuff as well. Brian mentioned the music. The music was fantastic. Like I, I think the soundtrack was, this is one of the movies where the soundtrack was a character on its own. And I think it really helped this movie along. So this movie has all the ingredients to make a bomb ass soup, but I feel like it was missing something. It just needed something to kind of put it over the edge. I can't quite figure out what it is. Not super rewatchable, but I do think it's a good movie. I gave it a flat seven. All right. Um, I My favorite kill, like I said, is going to be Ben Kidney, like old buddy in Stagecoach Will. That's hilarious to me. But if we didn't really get confirmation he died, I don't think. I don't. Maybe I missed that. But uh, if we didn't, then he, he did make it. Then I'll say Kate with the drive-by throat slash. Least favorite kill is probably the first one because it was completely off screen. Um, the rest of, well, actually, no, I, you changed my mind, Nico. I'm going to say Aberline as well because it was just kind of a pointless death and he didn't deserve, like, we didn't need him to die. Uh, the movie, in my general, th- my closing thoughts, it's a solid movie. The subject matter is great. Like, I'm very fascinated by Jack the Ripper, so I'd love that, but it does drag on a bit. Uh, the runtime, you feel it. And throughout history, you know, we've been led to believe that the Ripper was never caught. No one knew who he was. He acted in solidarity and uh, or he acted alone. Solidarity means with people. Um, But I'm fine with changing some details in some historical uh, situations to make a movie or a story more interesting. But they pretty much abandon facts here. And so that plus the lack of rewatchability, like you said, because some of it does 
uh, drag so long. I would recommend you watch it for sure, um, but it's going to be a while before we watch it again. So I'm going to say a flat seven as well. Uh, really quick, I should point out that my favorite kill was Lish Drive, which slope the throat slash, and my least favorite kill was Aberlene as well because I I thought his death didn't need to happen. Okay, uh, my favorite kill was Liz's throat slash as well. My least favorite kill. I actually picked Polly because it was the first one because it was being off screen. You know, I think it would have been a shocking start to have, uh, you know, some, a big gruesome kill right off the bat. And then, you know, obviously one at the end, like I said, would have been a cool way to, to start and end it. But, you know, there it is. Um, all in all, I have a lot of issues with this movie, but it's very entertaining to me. Um, I'll get right to it. And I really, I, you know, it's kind of becoming too much of a ritual when you change it up. And I think next week we'll change it up. But I gave it a seven as well. Okay. Gives us a composite score of 6.875. IMDb has it at a 6.7. So damn, we're good. Wow. Wow. <laughs> God damn. We're, we're damn, they're good. No, no, we're good. No, uh, no, 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 no. We're good. They, they're following our trend. That's what it is. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> All right, guys. Any final thoughts? Ready to shout out the blood donors. We'll have Mike announce his pick for next week. All right, we just want to shout out our blood donors. Really appreciate y'all. Our camper level reoccurring are Clayton J, Nina, Michelle Mirza, Andrew Ferguson, the Horror Movie Crew Podcast, Alex Seligson, Eric Doolittle, Sean Irwin, Brian Samick, and Trisha. New blood donor, appreciate you. Camp counselor reoccurring, Dennis Kennedy, Edwin Hernandez Gunn, Joe Swinford, Jennifer Davis from the Too Close to Home Podcast, Kylie Denise, all the way from Australia, Adrian Aiello, Jake Hambrick, Clay Moore, Karen, Matt Strickland, and Gail Koontz. Just want to say we really appreciate y'all's financial contributions. We are in some tough, tough times economically right now, so it means a lot to us that you know you donate your money to us to help us make the show. It really means a lot to us. Uh, Mike, announce your pick for next week, brother. Back to the logo. Yeah, I was going to say, we're going back to the logo. Uh, the original pick, by the way, for all you people, was Jason X. However, Brian made a great point, and I agree with him. We need to save these Halloween and Friday movies for the dates that those things take place. So we rarely get a Friday the 13th. Uh, so we need to kind of save what we have left of that franchise for those dates. And Halloween we need to save for actual Halloween season. So Nightmare on Elm Street doesn't particularly have a set holiday. So I figure we can sporadically throw them in. And so I went with probably the most controversial one of the franchise, and that would be Nightmare on Elm Street Part Two. Nice. Freddy's Revenge. Hell yeah. You're all my children now. Let's go. Let's all have a dance uh, a dance scene in our own bedrooms right now to celebrate. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have any tidy whities I have to go buy some. <laughs> no, that's all right, brother. <laughs> you don't have to do that. Oh, okay. okay. Uh, I'm very excited. I'm very excited because I feel like it's a movie that we need to cover at some point. Yeah. And I just want to point out, June's probably the perfect month to do that. Why is that? <laughs> Why is that? Much? You know why. We'll talk about it next week. I don't know. I disagree. All right, guys, with just want to say appreciate all our fans and listeners. Y'all are amazing. It means a lot to us the amount of support we've gotten from you guys. Looking forward to next week's review. Going back to the logo is always cool. Uh, had Robert fucking England on the show, so that's pretty awesome. Let's go. Don't uh, go out there. Com. That's right. Episode thirty-three. Uh, if, if you're <laughs> counting. But thank you to all the fans, <laughs> and listeners. We'll see y'all next week. Sorry for being so late on recording this one. <laughs> Just want to remind everybody.
You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.